Okay, so we're here tonight, and I want to ask you, you know, how do you feel about... It's quite... Sorry if you can see that. It's quite wet, actually. It just keeps... I've never seen mucus so green when... Not now. It's back to transparent now. But it was quite, wasn't it, babe? And I think, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about bodily fluids? Because, I mean, I love the fact that even though we might not get time to talk about um, the menstrual cycle and semen, and I don't mean semen as in the men on boats, but even though we don't, may not have time to get there, I just thought, Hazel has the best voice. She must read this. Um, and it was so encouraging. She just took pause at every word so carefully. Thank you, Hazel, for that. I really appreciate that. Um, whether you are comfortable or uncomfortable, it is a part of your life. All those bodily fluids we spoke about and that Leviticus speaks about in chapters 11 to 15 are a part of your routine and day-to-day life, aren't they? So is what you eat, Leviticus chapter 11. Clean and unclean food, what you do at the dinner table somehow can glorify God or not. These chapters, which we can't cover completely, but I'll give you a taster, Leviticus 11 to 15, aren't just a manual for zoologists, chapter 11, wanting to identify which ones have a cleft hoof and chew the cud. They're not just a manual for women, women and their midwives in chapter 12, you know, talking about the flow of blood in childbirth. They're not a manual even for dermatologists trying to figure out what to do when your skin does this. Although, please do appreciate that in chapter 13, verse 40, you may like this verse, but a man who has lost his hair and is bald is clean. There we are. We will see what that means. Neither are these chapters a manual for those who are house inspectors looking for mold in chapters 13 and 14, or even GPs here tonight who are unusually interested in bodily discharges. I did have a very good conversation this morning about hemorrhoids. But these chapters, they speak about being holy as we just sung a couple songs ago, being set apart, being distinctive. We're going to see how that works out very quickly. Even though I don't believe that we follow it to a T in terms of what animals we eat or not, we follow the principles that Jesus calls us to if we're Christians. But notice this as we begin to talk about these weird chapters, okay? If you noticed where they come in, in Leviticus, okay? So you've got chapter 10, and we've had the death of Nadab and Abihu, who offended God by not caring about how they approach him. In chapters 8 and 9, they had seen with their own eyes just how particular they need to be because God is God and we are not, but they didn't pay careful attention. And we learned uh, with John Owen last week just what happened. But then in chapter 16, we have the Day of Atonement. 
the ultimate day of worship where the tabernacle was cleansed, where all sins were forgiven for the whole year for the people of God. And in the middle of these two crazy chapters, we have how you live a holy life in every aspect of life. How amazing that this stuff really matters. So for us Christians today, we're going to take on the challenge that God is calling us to glorify Him, to honor Him with every aspect of our lives. So let's talk about these two big ideas. Although our practice might change, the principles are the same. God is holy, and we must be holy. God is holy, and we must be holy. Let's think about this first idea. God is holy. There are different kinds of people in the world, and I think we are somewhat on a spectrum of conformity to non-conformity. Some of you, like my wife, would say of you, okay, think about whether this is where you're at, I follow rules because they are rules, and so I'll follow a rule despite not having a clear explanation for the rule, so long as it's a rule, I will follow it. That my wife is over here on this side, okay? I'm over here on this side. I tend to only follow rules insofar as I can see the point in them. If you're over here, perhaps you look at the speed limit and your temptation, I will not tell you what I do, uh, so you won't judge me, but your temptation may be, why on earth would the speed limit be 20 in this area? This makes absolutely no sense. I would travel at 30. Okay? I'm not saying this is what I do. I'm not condoning any behavior here. Don't sue me. Don't fire me. Where do you lean? Here's why I'm saying this to you. When we come to these chapters, scholars disagree widely about why it is that an animal is unclean or that a skin disease is unclean or some other thing, or the blood flow in childbirth or why the time of uncleanness for a daughter is twice as long as for a son. Scholars disagree on all of these things, but I'll tell you what they're going to agree on. The people of Israel were called to obey whether they understood it or not. Because he was, God was their king. They knew they could trust God, whether they understood the command or not. Can you already see a bit of application for us Christians today? Whether we understand every verse in the Bible or not, why it's there or not. What has the king done? Leviticus 11, chapter 44, uh, verse 44, 45. I'm the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Why? Because I am holy, God says. Verse 45, I am the Lord. What has he done that you should follow him? What has he done that you should love him, that you should obey him, even if you don't know why? Who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. So let's talk about this. Because this is the background that you need to understand for the rest of Leviticus even. God is holy. He is set apart. And anything else that's called holy in Leviticus is set apart for God or for God's use. How is God set apart? Well, God is set apart because he stands outside his creation. And you remember this because George told you this, George Clayson, when he was preaching on holiness. I'm not going to rehearse much of it, but he is, big word for you, transcendent. His creation is here. He is outside because he is created. He's transcendent. Even though he's also present, he's also imminent. There is no one like him. There is no one beside him. He is completely other than his creation. He is not just 
like a human being but better. No, he's completely on a different category. We see that in the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. He created Eden, and Eden was set apart. See that? God's good order of creation had his stamp all over it. And where did he make his presence known? Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. In the cool of the day, walking in the garden. It doesn't say he was walking outside of Eden. It says that he made his presence in a special way there at, in, the, in, in Eden. And in particular, in the garden. There was endless life there because there was a tree of life in the middle of it. So can you see how a place, Eden, is set apart because God makes his presence known there? Outside Eden, there is the wilderness. Moving away from Eden is moving away from life. It's moving towards death. So when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, what happened? They were kicked out of the place where God is present, of Eden, of the garden in particular. So when we say God is holy, he is holy because he's completely other. He's holy because... Anything that is not perfect can't come into his presence, so they can't be in the garden anymore. So he's holy morally. But we also see that God was set apart here in Leviticus. Yes, the miniature tabernacle is back. And if you look at it, look how beautiful it is. Dickie, one of our elders, just has this because that's appropriate. For, a, for an elder to own. But you see, this is just like Eden. Just like Eden. Okay? Outside of it is all of sinful humanity. You can only live in the camp near the tabernacle, near the tent of meeting, if you are what? If you are Brazilian? No. If you're an Israelite. If you're one of the people that God has rescued out of Egypt, you are out here. Can you enter here? You never could. I never could. But a priest. A priest is holy. Not because he's better. He is set apart for God's use. He serves God. Can he say, I'm kind of sick of my job. Tomorrow I shall become an accountant. No. Not just because that's less exciting for anybody. But... <laughs> Because he is set apart for the rest of his life. Look at this sheep. This sheep is holy. It's not like the other sheep. This sheep, without any blemish or spot, is set apart as a sacrifice. Belongs to God. You don't dare take it. What kind of beings were guarding the Garden of Eden when men and women were kicked out? Cherubim, behold, in the very fabric of the, the tabernacle, there are images of cherubim guarding the very place that you can't go in. Here's the tent of meeting. The holy place, you can't go there either. The most holy place, the holy of holies, has above the ark a picture of cherubim guarding it. Can you see how this is like a mini 
garden of Eden where God is present. Keep this picture in your mind. We said the other week that even how you enter it, from the garden you were kicked out and you enter it that way going east. God is set apart. But the rest of humanity are now unholy. We can't come to him. And so you've seen that when it comes to morality, chapters 1 to 7 say, hey, did you sin? Did you drive a wedge between you and God? He, is, he loves you so much, he has given you a way through sacrifices. You can be forgiven. Atonement can be made and you'll be forgiven. That's the refrain. That's the chorus. Now, in these chapters, there's a new category. Not to do with morality, but you can be unclean. You only care about any of what I just said, Free Nation Israelites. This is the only reason you care about it. You love your God. You know you're loved by Him and you want to be near Him. There's no other reason why you care about this. Okay? It's for the same reason that if you're a Christian, the only reason you care about any of the stuff that other people judge us for, maybe you feel that as you read the Bible, you go, the Bible says I should get drunk. Your friends may judge you for that. What don't they get? You don't want to drive a wedge between you and the Lord. You love Him. Maybe like I told you the other week, um, like my mom when I was a child says, can you just lie for me? And you say, no, mom, because I love God more than I love you, so I can't do that. And people may be upset with you. But just like an ancient Israelite, what do you care about? I want to be near God. This matters more than anything else. So God is holy. He's set apart. And so are his people. That's why again and again in Leviticus, we don't have time to go through all the passages, but he says, because I am holy, be holy. If you want to go back to Eden, if you want to go back to having a, a relationship with God where we are loved by him and we love him, you must be set apart. You come to him his way. And if he says, jumps to the New Testament, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, then the only way to come is to say, I'm so sorry, Father, I've messed up completely. Forgive me. Thank you that Jesus died for me. And then we are set apart for him. That's why our second heading is, first is God is holy. Second is we must be holy and distinctive. Okay? When was the last time? Yes, thank you. It just reminds me. It's my mucus built up again. When was the last time you were in a hospital? Fairly recent, maybe? Where were you allowed to go in the hospital? How, how deep in the, in the hospital entrails were you allowed to go? I form a reflex when I do this. So some of you immediately, you need to also, isn't it? But let me ask you this. Are you allowed to go at reception? Yeah? If you have symptoms, can you go to reception? If you're coughing and spluttering and there is um, mucus running down your face and into your mouth, it's most of our children here. Um, are you allowed, are you allowed in there? Okay. Can you go in a high dependency unit? Interesting. You can't go there. Okay. If you are healthy, if you're healthy, can you go in an operating room, operating theater? No? What's missing? 
Got, got to have the, what if you have PPE? Can you go in there? Got to be, got to be sterilized, haven't you? Sterilized. Interesting. A scholar um, that has much affected my understanding of Leviticus called Jay Sklar, fantastic name, um, gives this illustration of a hospital to talk about the difference between holiness and purity. I say we pull out all the stops and we use a flip chart. What do you say? <laughs> fantastic. Here we go. I told you there's this idea of holy. God is holy. Objects can be holy. Places and times can be holy. But then over here, you've got this idea of clean. And then you can be unclean. Animals can be unclean. And here, something can be unholy or profane. Now, there's lots of, lots of interesting things that I think we need to think about when we think about this. Sorry, I didn't really help the camera with that, did I? Think about this. And remember, you only care about this stuff because you care about obeying your God and being near Him and not driving a wedge between you and Him. Okay? So here we go. If you're holy, you're set apart. There's a moral aspect to it. Okay? That's great. There are places in the tabernacle that are holy. This is not contagious. This uncleanness is contagious. Okay? So, if you were in ancient Israel tonight, and I say to you, hey, some of you ladies who are a little bit younger, if you're in your period at the moment, please can you just mark where you've sat so that nobody else sits where you sat because otherwise we're going to be unclean. Can you just let us know so that we don't touch you because otherwise we're going to be unclean as well. Now that would make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Just think about that. This is contagious. Remember women, the woman with the flow of blood in the Gospels? She didn't want anybody to know that she had a, blow, a flow of blood for 12 years and nobody could help her. She didn't want anybody to know that she had touched Jesus. Why? Because anybody she had touched would be made unclean. Jesus is so amazing. He's the only person that he can be touched by the unclean. He can touch what is unclean and he makes it clean. But let's talk about this. Here there's a moral aspect. Here there isn't a moral aspect. Is it sinful in Leviticus to be in your period? No. Not sinful. Is it sinful to have a child and to um, have uh, blood flowing out of you? No. No. That's why look at Leviticus chapter 12 for you to get this picture of what it means to be unclean. Okay? Look at what happens. Verse 8. Very end there. If the woman has been unclean and she follows the procedures, and she follows the days of isolation. She offers the sacrifice, which is the same for a boy or a girl. It doesn't make a difference. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be forgiven? No. Forgiven is what you would find in chapters 1 to 7, because there's to do with sin. Here, she will be clean again. She will no longer be a picture of not life, because blood that belongs in the body is now outside of the body. Cleanness. And uncleanness or purity and impurity is about a picture of wholeness and of God's good creation. You can be clean doesn't mean you're a better Christian than someone else, a better Israelite than someone else. You can be unclean doesn't mean you're worse unless it was because of your own fault. Keep this picture in your mind. And the 
question on the Israelites' mind is this. Am I fit? Am I right to be in God's presence? That's what they care about. This was the horrible thought in their minds. To be excluded, to be away from the presence of God. I wonder, if you're a Christian here tonight, whether you've been a Christian for many years, whether you've been a Christian for a year or two, is the presence of God something you so treasure that you just go, I don't want to be away from it. It pains me. It pains me when I have been derelict in my duty of engaging with God in the Bible. I miss it. I feel dry. I need more of Him. I haven't spent time with God in prayer. The Israelites, that was the question on their mind. Am I fit to be in God's presence? You and I, because of the blood of Jesus, washed, washed us clean, we can be in God's presence anytime, and yet we choose not to so much of the time. So, if this is the picture, this has to do with obeying God, disobeying God. This has to do with processes in life that are either a picture of life, like blood in the body, or not life, a picture of death of the fallen creation. Like, for example, semen that is supposed to create new life. Not doing that. Being used for another purpose. It's a picture of death. And so even though it might not be your fault, because if you are a man and you haven't been having sex, you may wake up and semen is there. The body keeps producing it. But that's a picture of how this happens because we're in a creation where not everything leads to life that should lead to life. So now, we find ourselves with the question. If chapters 11 to 15 aren't necessarily about things that you do wrong, why on earth would God have these things here? And I would say, I'm persuaded because God knows, just as he knows when he gives us the book of Revelation full of symbols and pictures, that a picture is worth a thousand words. That a picture just grabs you by the scruff of the neck and punches you in the face when you need it. Someone was just telling me, uh, you know, recently, you can say, oh, Tiago, he's, he's not very focused. He struggles a little bit sometimes, concentration. Yes, you can say that. And we might understand it. But you can say, that fellow Tiago, I mean, he's a couple sandwiches short of a picnic, isn't he? That's a different picture in your mind, isn't it? You can say he's not very clever. He's as thick as a plank. You can say Tiago's not very useful, okay? But if Tiago is as useful as a chocolate teapot, I mean, that paints that, because you see, because if you pour the tea, it's hot tea, hot tea. And then the teapot, they're supposed to hold. Did you get that? Did you? It's a, it paints a picture. You can explore that picture. We're talking about a people, a whole nation, that from the dinner table to the maternity room to whatever they do with their body, they are a picture of wholeness. They are a picture of their God who alone can rescue them. The challenge for us is, are we 
as children of God who belong to Jesus, are washed in his blood, a part of the family of God, if you come and have dinner with me, if you come and spend time with me, will you see some of that? Let's come back to that in just a minute. Um, f- please forgive me. Let me just take a little detour, okay? And just for the person next to you, while I have a sip of water and blow my nose again, um, what do you think is the best explanation for why certain animals are unclean and certain animals are clean? What do you think is the best explanation for some of these things in chapters um, 11 to 15? Just have a hazard a guess um, or an informed guess from the scriptures, okay? And then I'll give you some thoughts. Go for it. Okay, now you've had a chance there to um, solve some of the mysteries that scholars have been debating for a couple thousand years. Let me give you a few thoughts. Some of these things, um, I, I try and do diligent study work so that I can feed you uh, what I believe is what the scriptures are showing. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't seem like the Bible simply just says exactly why. Like I said to you, it seems that the Bible instead talks about the function of these things. Why do you obey? Because you want to be near your God. Why do you obey? Because you want to be a distinct people, unlike the nations. But some people say that some animals are clean or unclean here, for example, because some animals are more hygienic than other animals. Just very quickly, I'm going to tell you why I don't think that works. Okay, If you undercook pork, you might catch like... Is it, is it like trichinosis, right? Something like that. Now, is it the same danger if you undercook beef? Slightly different then. You might get salmonella, okay? So it can't be that one you will undercook and you got some problems and the other one you can eat raw and you got no problems. So I don't think that works 100%. Maybe the theory is about worship that some of these animals were used by the Canaanites over there in worship, and they're pagans, so we're not going to use that, except the problem is, in the ordination offering in Leviticus um, 8 or 9, God asked for a calf. I mean, was a calf worshipped in Exodus? Yes. So that theory doesn't seem to fit. Maybe it was the moral symbolic theory. And it's like this, okay? Ever seen a pig? A pig has such dirty habits pig does things in a dirty mucky way so we shouldn't be like a pig so don't eat a pig 
I'm like, uh, have you seen, I mean, some of these animals, they poop standing that are clean. You know, I was just talking to someone the other day because I was fascinated by sort of farm kind of stuff. But at the same time, you know, I struggle with like microbial, you know, like uncleanness and all that kind of stuff. So I said, I'd love to just one day, maybe just like milk a cow. And they were like, somebody said to me, do you realize how, how close the butt of the cow is to that? Because if she goes at that particular moment, you're going to have splashback. And I thought, oh, <laughs> this is a different thing. Okay, so... I don't think this theory works because it's very made up why these animals do unclean things. Somebody has said that maybe it's to do with creation order. So you're like, what kinds of things should live in the sea? Things with fins, things with scales. If there's something in the sea, it doesn't have fins or scales, it doesn't belong in the sea, don't eat that bad boy. Okay? I mean, again, that kind of doesn't seem to work 100% because it doesn't explain every animal that fits in the category. Here's what I'm persuaded so far, just for your blessing. There may have been reasons that the ancient Israelites knew as soon as God said, don't eat this, and they go, oh, of course. But it's not obvious to us. And for some reason, God didn't see it fit for us to know. Some things, it may be more obvious. Maybe you shouldn't eat a vulture because they're in touch with pictures of death all the time. They're eating carcasses. So there's what I think could be going on here. The best explanation for me is some of the things that are symbolic with life, life should never be near God, the things that are symbolic of death, like blood not in the body, semen not in the body, not producing life. But let's finish with this. Here we learn that you should be distinctive in chapter 11 at the dinner table. Just very quickly, if you live till you're 79, apparently you will have spent an average of four and a half years eating. Four and a half years eating. Is that a long time eating? Imagine if you just cramped all of those and you were just eating for four and a half years straight. What do you think if you were eating for four and a half years straight, that seems like a dream, <laughs> okay, to me. Four and a half years straight, do you think any of that time, if someone was watching you, being with you in between meals, would it communicate anything about you? Maybe about your faith? Consider how the Israelites had, does the animal have a divided hoof, a chewed card in their minds? Foreigners sees the kind of animals they keep, and they ask them questions. Why do you do this? Imagine an Israelite saying, because God told us to. Why do you care about that? He rescued me. I owe him everything. Imagine someone comes to your house for dinner. Have you ever been to a vegetarian person's house for dinner? I served, um, it would be embarrassing, I served George a meal. We're very good friends, George and I. So he felt able to say, brother, where is the meat? <laughs> and I launched into an explanation about how we tend to eat meat maybe once or twice a week. You know, it makes life cheaper and all that kind of stuff. That was a doorway for me to explain to him something I'm persuaded about, financially or otherwise. I've been in a vegetarian person's house for dinner 
And they were able to explain to me, well, you know, because of animal welfare, because not everything is um, quite safe enough, because if you eat a chicken, the chicken might be sitting in its poo because they make them so heavy and they're in a box. And Anyway, that food, that meal, was an opportunity to talk about their, what they were persuaded by, what they lived by. How do I apply this to Christians today? Everything that we do from what we eat and how we eat and when we eat to how we dress, where we go, how we, t- how we, um, how we walk, all of that should be an opportunity for someone to say, why'd you do that like that? Okay. Hey, why did you, after a really long, hard day at work, before you had dinner, why did you choose to call someone and say, can you pray for me, can you pray with me? Why? Well, it was because I have a temptation to comfort eat, and I don't want to put my trust and my comfort in my food. I want to put it in Jesus instead, so I asked someone to help me. That's why I did that. Can you see how everything can be an opportunity for someone to see, I've thought about this, and I want to do what verses 44 and 45 say. I want to honor my God because he brought me not out of Egypt, but Egypt and the rest of the Bible becomes a picture of our sin. And we've been rescued from our sin by Jesus. So we are so grateful that even though we know there are lots of things we can do, we think, should I do this? Will it be a good image for the name of Jesus? Let me tell you a couple more things. I don't believe that you should abstain from these foods because Paul says in 1, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that anything received with thanksgiving to do, for, by those who believe and who know the truth is fine for you to eat. You can come and ask me questions about this later on. But my question is, do I live like a child of, ho- a child of God who considers his word in every area of my life. Do I do that? What he commands about alcohol, what he commands about food, what he commands about sex, what he commands about friendship, that friendship includes rebuke as well as wisdom, what he commands about how I do my work, how I spend my leisure time resting in Jesus. I pray that we would live distinctive lives because we know Jesus has rescued us from our sin. Let me finish with this story. Did I tell you about my friend who I'm going to call Clara? Who, um, did I tell you about her? She, she idolized, she was single, and she idolized marriage. Marriage was, you know, find someone who's going to make me happy, who's going to complete me. Um, and she just really wanted to get married. So um, in the course of our friendship, you know, she'd come over for meals and all, all, all that kind of stuff. Spend time with, uh, with Megan. She's really good friends with Megan. And over the course of our friendship, we were talking again about marriage and singleness, because we did, because we talked about everything. Um, and she, she said something along the lines of, you know, I used to idolize marriage, and uh, I think that I must get married, and I can't wait. Um, now I spend some time with you guys, a little bit. I've seen some of your sin. Um, I appreciate God's good design, but I can wait. God's timing, you know. I pray... That that's because she saw our sin 
but also our repentance, some of our arguments. Because if she knocked on the door and we have an argument, I said, can we just finish an argument and then we will go? Because I need to be honest with her. She could see that God was affecting every area of my life and my prayer is that he will be doing the same thing in yours until the day when all pictures of death are erased because the last enemy of death in 1 Corinthians 15 is conquered. Because when the new heavens and the new earth are here, God will be dwelling with his people and there is no more mourning, crying, pain, death, uncleanness, everything where it should be. That's for you if Jesus is your God. That's for you if you feel unclean, if you feel that your whole life is a picture of mess, Jesus touches you, you are made clean. That's my only hope. That's my only hope.